Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 56, the Francisco Elson episode, as the Dutch Journeyman Center, hailing from the Netherlands, wore number 56 for three seasons with the now reigning champs, Denver Nuggets, from 2004 through 2006. He was then signed by the Spurs in 2007, in which he won an NBA title. But I'll always remember Francisco. Man, is that fun to say. As a member of the Milwaukee Bucks during my inaugural season as a Bucks season ticket holder, which became my start to something very special in the city of Milwaukee. So do you guys remember anything about Francisco real quick? Nope. Nope. I'm just just thrilled over the fact that you say, I'll always remember Francisco as part of that. There's a sentence I did not think would be used anytime soon. So kudos to you for that one. Yeah, I'm just keeping you guys on your toes. But before we move along any further here, I want to let everybody know Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and the latest matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available, available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. And tonight, Bruce, will start with you for opening tip. Thanks, Ross. I always thought Damian Lillard was different. I can't remember a player trashing his own reputation in such a short time after a decade of loyalty and excellence. He always pushed the narrative that he was a blazer through and through. He wanted to stay and win a chip in Portland. But when he realized that the team was not going to be able to make the type of win-now deals that would permit the Blazers to compete for a title, he decided to request a trade on July 1st. Fair enough. The team drafted Scoot Henderson, who plays Dame's position, so Lillard was justified in asking to move on, and the team indicated it was willing to, you know, look for a deal. Then last week, Dame's agent put the word out that Dame only wanted a trade to one team, the Miami Heat. Sorry, Dame, you have no right to demand any such thing. When you sign that monster extension that will pay you $216 million over the next four years, you should have negotiated a no-trade clause, which you did not do. So you have no say, and furthermore, why should the Blazers accept pennies on the dollar, see what I did there, just to make you happy if they can get a better deal trading you elsewhere? If I'm the Blazers' GM, Joe Cronin, I'll do what's best for the franchise and all the loyal Blazers players, coaches, and employees who will still be there after Dame moves on. No, Damien, Portland may appreciate what you've done for the team, and they paid you accordingly, but they do not need to compromise their future just to make you happy. And if they trade you somewhere other than Miami and you decide to throw a hissy fit, your previously stellar reputation will be permanently damaged. Totally agree with you there, Bruce. Uh, we definitely have our thoughts aligned there, and I'm hoping that they scoot them out of town, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> World B, how about what do you got for opening tip? Well, no puns. I can match the two of you so far. I'll tell you that. <laughs> After missing the playoffs for three straight seasons, the Indiana Pacers have served notice to their fans and the rest of the NBA so far this offseason. 
that they intend to get back to championship contending status. In no particular order, the Pacers have signed Tyrese Halliburton to a five-year rookie max extension, which could be worth up to $260 million. They were also able to steal Obi Toppin, a former top 10 pick from the Knicks, for nothing more than a pair of second-round picks. And they acquired one of the big names that come out of this past postseason, reserve swingman Bruce Brown, signing him away from the Nuggets on a two-year, $45 million deal with the second year a team option. Now there are rumblings that they could be in the market for Raptors all-star Pascal Siakam should the Toronto Raptors make him available, which seems more and more likely at this point. The Pacers have been so insignificant in recent years, it's easy to forget that this is a franchise that went through a stretch not too long ago in which they made the playoffs nine times in a 10-year span and served as LeBron James's biggest competition in the Eastern Conference when the King was with the Heat. Now Indiana appears to be ready for more than just a return to the playoffs, and the rest of the Eastern Conference better be on alert. They certainly should be because they're putting some tools around Tyrese Halliburton, and as I'm sure Bruce would agree with me, Rick Carlisle definitely knows how to coach. So you give that man some talent and some young energy, and uh, they could be a scare in the Central Division as soon as next season. As for my opening tip, this may be my first of many future Gigi Jackson updates for you all. So uh, definitely stay tuned there. So uh, I figured I'd share my game report on GJ after watching last Thursday's Grizzlies Jazz game in the Salt Lake City Summer League, which was the game he started and logged the most minutes thus far, putting up 23 points to go along with 10 rebounds in just over 27 minutes of play. Offensively, They've got Gigi run into the corner, He comes off pin downs, he sets awkward half-ass back, back screens, and unfortunately, he's not effectively utilizing his 6-9 frame as he's not moving off the ball and slashing. He's been too stagged, stagnant on offense, oftentimes just caught standing there, making him extremely easy to defend. On a much brighter note, his three-point range seems to be legit and could be very useful in limited time with the Grizzlies next season but yet he settles for that three-point look far too often on the catch in one-on-one situations. When Jackson does put the ball on the floor, he's doing a bit too much. Way too many combo dribbles, way too many combo moves, where he oftentimes goes nowhere on those dribbles. Defensively, to no real surprise, he looks like Bambi. He caught, he's caught standing up out of, out of a stance, and when shots go up, he just runs right to the rim, never blocking his man out and solely relying upon his length and wingspan to grab rebounds. He's also foul prone as he swipes down on most shot contests, despite getting his hands on a lot of those contests around the basket. There's a lot of work that lies ahead on both sides of the ball for the youngest player participating in this year's summer league. I doubt we'll see him much at all next year in Memphis, but Gigi Jackson will absolutely be a fun garbage time player to watch. How he handles the lack of playing time and develops while not playing real on-the-court minutes with the Grizzlies should certainly be interesting to follow. And with that, let's talk about some more rookies here for our first half, and uh, we'll discuss some Summer League stars and standouts. And let's go ahead and start out with uh, the number one overall pick, Victor Wembanyama. Bruce, did you get a chance to see uh, his debut games in Las Vegas? Yeah, and I'm trying to decide, do I call him Wemby like a lot of people are doing, or do I call him Victor? <laughs> I kind of like Victor because okay. you can't spell victory without Victor. 
And to me, Wemby is sounds like Wimbledon or something. So you know, <laughs> not really, not really loving the whole Wemby thing. But you know what? I guess the fans in San Antonio are going to be the ones to decide all that, uh, and they'll probably just refer to him as that godlike player. Anyway, after his first summer league game, he looked pretty good in spite of shooting two for thirteen and scoring just seven points. He did grab eight rebounds and he blocked five shots. In his second game on Sunday, he dropped 27 in 27 minutes with 12 boards and three more blocks. I can imagine he probably felt some jitters in game one, but he looked definitely more settled in game two. And we found out on Monday that he is now done playing in summer league games, so we're not going to be seeing any more of him for a while. But what I've seen is I've seen the future, and his looks pretty bright. What did you guys think? Will be. Oh, I absolutely love watching him play. He, I mean, his skill set is exactly as advertised. It's that what you saw in highlights leading up to the draft, and you know those pieces that you know, those clips you would see. His shooting touch is uh, legit. It's it's got three point range all over it as he uh, displayed on Sunday, and his athleticism and his size are it's a game changer. He he is uh, he is somebody that's absolutely with his skill set capable of taking on the mantle or becoming the face of this league as far as you know once uh some of this old guard if you will uh depart like lebron and and others here lillard and thing people like that uh he's definitely with his skill set it's a game changer the way the league is now uh his athleticism and height are you know it's you don't see that when i was watching the game the thing i came away most impressed with especially in that debut game on Friday obviously he did not shoot the ball well he didn't play well he looked kind of out of sync in general he even said after the game he didn't really even know what he was doing quite honest with the media there I really respected and appreciated his composure I mean that guy was still very encouraging he showed no poor body language and even after the game you know he was encouraging his teammates uh, telling them good games, things of that nature. Could have been very easy for him to cave, kind of uh, put his head down and, and show that negative, uh, you know, body language on on the TV in front of everybody who were, I mean, there were some boos in the crowd. You know, a lot of fans had waited uh, five, six hours or, or, or longer to get into that arena for that game. And obviously, uh, didn't play up to par, but you know he, he handled it well and responded in Sunday night's game. I mean, came out with a little bit more urgency. He seemed a little bit more on balance. I thought the balance was way off in that Friday night game, and he and and I, I thought Kai Jones, to be honest, give credit to one of World Beast guys with the uh, Charlotte Hornets. You know, I thought he was a good guy to kind of be matched up on Victor Wembanyama. I mean, he has the the speed, the quickness, and the athleticism that kind of you know can make things a little bit disruptive for Victor. And, uh, you know, that was something I thought in the Portland game that I also watched, they lacked at the five position to where maybe he had a little bit more success than he did against Charlotte. Charlotte had some athletic guys kind of crashing the rim and, and making it tough on him. But uh, uh, what in general, you know, I'd be curious to get your guys' thoughts, like seeing him in these first two small sample size summer league games, do you have any concerns though when you start thinking about your guys' favorite team or some of the elite bigs out there, like how that's going to go in the NBA regular season, Bruce? Well, I mean, I had put down some pluses and minuses, so it sounds like I'm going to start with the minuses here. That that seems to make the more sense. Yeah, he's only 19. 
he needs to spend a lot of time in the weight room. <laughs> you can see him getting pushed around by stronger bigs like Embiid or Giannis or Joker, not to mention power forwards who are six inches shorter and 50 pounds heavier. Um, good nutrition and hard work is definitely going to help him increase his strength. I also thought his free throw shooting looked a bit shaky in the first couple of games. You know, not totally unusual. Um, but um, practice will solve that. But you know he's going to be targeted out there by veterans who are going to come at him and test him. You mentioned Kai Jones and that poster dunk that he had on him on Friday night. I think you're going to see guys hunting him to try and, and try and kind of break him down a little bit and, you know, make him doubt himself a little bit. But – and he'll get dunked on again, and he'll get oh, yeah. dunked on a number of times. But you know what? That intimidation will be nothing like what it's going to be playing for Greg Popovich because Greg Popovich is going to toughen him up long before he plays his first official NBA game. And I know that he's not going back to France after Summer League. He's going straight to San Antonio. He's going to work with the OGs down there. He's going to work with Pop. So I think, yeah, there are some concerns, but to me, they're all correctable uh, because his pluses are really amazing. I think his athleticism will initially help him overcome his obvious lack of his frail build, um, his frame. Uh, Bruce is right. He's going to get pushed around. Uh, he'd get pushed around if he was a decent size, just being in the league. It's, you know, you don't, come into the league, I don't care what, unless your name is LeBron James, and not get pushed around a little as you learn how to do things in the NBA. That being said, I think his athleticism is going to be as much a, a benefit for him to help him overcome that as his uh, frame will work against him initially. Bruce is right. Working with Pop is can only uh, help his cause. And while his free throw shooting may need work, I was impressed he was able to get to the line 12 times on Sunday. You know, that's a lot of big names. You, you know, when you're able to get to the line, we see some of the best in the league make a living. Jimmy Butler, Kevin Durant, all these guys, they get so many of their points at the free throw line. If you can get there and work on it a little bit, yeah, he's going to be a he's a 30-point-a-night guy in a, in a couple of years. And so I came away really thinking he's the only one so far out of this group, and we kind of knew it going in, who – you can't wait to see him on TV. You can't wait till he comes to your town. You can't say even Scoo Henderson, as impressed as I was watching him in the limited time, and we'll talk about him, I'm sure. He's I want to watch him play, but not like I want to watch Victor play. Yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, a couple last final notes here on Victor. You know, one of the things that really kind of concerned me, which I'm sure the OGs back in San Antonio will work on with him, is his screen setting. Not sure if you guys saw it, but on the screen, he's a little too wide. His knees are out. There's going to be a lot of knee-to-knee contact with guards fighting over the screens that he's setting, and that's going to definitely come back to haunt him, especially being 7-5. I mean, it, to have that knee-to-knee contact, you know, that could sideline him for a few games. So he's definitely got to work on kind of tucking those knees in a little bit better. Um, and then on a brighter note, uh, before we move on to our next guy here, I thought he was a extremely willing passer i i hadn't watched enough of his games overseas in france last year i love the way he he's a willing passer he gets his other teammates involved and he doesn't force things i think that's gonna be great for guys already in san antonio i mean they do have some talented pieces jeremy shohan they got shooters like doug mcdermott devin vassell i think they're gonna 
really enjoy playing with this guy. I mean, he's going to attract enough attention. He's going to get double teams because of the sheer size. And uh, if he's willing to pass the ball, I mean, that San Antonio offense is going to be in great shape uh, long-term moving forward. I agree with you, by the way. I just want to add something there. Uh, I thought his passing was very clever. I mean, look, he was – he, you know, he can see over everybody, right? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. you know, nobody's going to block his view. Uh, but I thought he found some teammates, you know, for very easy shots. He draws the defense because he's going to get double teamed a lot. And, it, you know, much like Nikola Jokic, I mean, he can see over guys and slips these little pocket passes in there. He already looks like a world-class rim protector. I mean, he's going to be among the leaders in block shots, even if he plays limited minutes. Because, I mean, if you block three shots a game, you're leading the league. And I think He'll block three shots a game almost every night. Uh, and as World B mentioned, he's got a really nice shooting touch. I mean, he's got a nice release. It's a soft thing. You know, you can't teach seven three, seven four, or seven five, whatever it is. I've heard all three of those heights <laughs> listed for him. Somebody's going to have to make that official at some point. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to, he, he could end up being the, the, the leading shot blocker in the history of the NBA, you know. If, if he has a nice, you know, lengthy career. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to not be super impressed by what we saw. Yeah, and I feel like half those blocks were out on the perimeter. He was contesting yeah. and, and blocking uh, three-pointers and pull-up jumpers. And if he's combining that with what he's doing at the rim, boy, I mean, he should be leading the league in blocks. So good point there, Bruce. Let's talk about another impressive uh, summer league debut here for another tall young big man and and that's uh, Oklahoma City's Chet Holgram obviously he got off to an impressive start uh, in summer league before things got uh, kicked off in Vegas I believe he was in Utah playing some games and uh, boy those Thunder they looked a lot they looked pretty fun out there as they pretty much set sent half their starting lineup of all these young guys that they they roster but Holgram really uh, stood out and that foot looks healthy world B I'll start with you yeah, like it, he has just what we saw last year before he uh, got injured. His skill set has not; uh, he has certainly not regressed. He he has the skill set to be an all star. He has that. He doesn't have the athleticism that Victor has, the way. Uh, but you're going to find out very few do. But he uh, his frame is uh, doesn't look like it's really increased in the off season to me, uh, maybe it has, I, I could be wrong, but he, he looked, uh, still looked rail thin out there, but his skill set really is impressive. He can, he can shoot the three, just like Victor. He can get up and down. He can rebound the ball. He has, he was impressive to me. I watched him against Dallas plays 30 minutes. They're putting him out there. He's making up for lost time. They're throwing him out there and he did, you know, double, double in 30 minutes, uh, was really was really impressive to me, and like I say, he he has the ability to hit the three. He he wasn't uh, great on this particular night. I think just one out of four, or whatever. But we've seen his uh, range go from um, from inside out. And even if he's not hitting the three point with regularity, he's going to be somebody that can make the mid range jumper and force those other big men out there. And then he can take you to the hole like Victor's going to do. We're going to see that from Victor a lot more. That we didn't even mention mid range came, but I saw uh, what I saw from Chet Holmgren was uh, I was very impressed. It reminded me of what I saw last year before he got hurt. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was the number two overall pick in the 2022 draft, behind only 
you know, your guy, Paolo Bancaro. Um, and, you know, in his first summer league game last year, he had like 23, seven and six blocks. So then he had that serious foot injury in some like pro-am game or whatever. I don't even remember what it was. Missed the entire season. He's back now. And he's joining a Thunder team that was rising in the West last year. I mean, that, you know, I totally expect them to make the top eight this year with that guy, you know, added to the to the young core uh, that they had. I mean, he's 7-1. He's got a good handle. He can play the four. He can play the five like Victor. He has a chance to be a, a you know, premier rim protector. In his first two summer league games this season, he's averaged a double-double with three and a half blocks, okay? So if he bulks up a bit and he's got a – he and Victor need to go push some metal together in that weight room. <laughs> if he bulks up a bit and stays healthy – I think Russ Geiger is going to make a whole lot of money betting on Thunder to win a lot of games this year. <laughs> yeah, I probably will because uh, I think uh, Chet Holgram right now is one of the best-kept secrets. I think for whatever reason, we've kind of forgotten about him. I think it was maybe just the hype going into Wemby and then, of course, Brandon Miller and Scoot, who's going number two. It's like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes here. This is Oklahoma City team that made the plan last year. And if they were missing one piece to their puzzle, it was another front court option. And they got quite a big one in Chet Holgram. So if he's back healthy, look out. And uh, I want to ask you guys real quickly here before we get to our third player, would you give Chet any chance of winning rookie of the year? Or do you think his team's too stacked that he's not going to put up the numbers? Bruce? Um, I don't, think he's going to win rookie of the year, but I'm not certain Victor's going to either. I think the next guy that we're going to talk about has a really good chance to be rookie of the year because he's going to have the keys to the car. He's going to have the ball in his hands and we'll talk about him in a moment. So I'm not saying Chet or Victor won't be rookie of the year, but I'm my preseason pick there is going to be uh, Mr. Henderson. I like to hear it. What about you, World B? Uh, I think I'm of the belief that I think as long as Victor doesn't go in the tank, uh, this rookie scene, he's uh, put up enough numbers to be the rookie of the year. Um, and I think Holmgren has an excellent chance to be the number two choice for rookie of the year. I think he has a, a great shot because he's going to put up numbers. You're right. He's got some talent around him and they're going to be successful. So that maybe will play against, maybe they won't need his numbers. He won't need to put up those big time numbers that potentially Victor or our guy there that uh, scoot where we're going to talk about, but I think he has an excellent chances because his ability is, is uh, very few are going to come into the league with that ability. Yeah. It should be definitely fun to watch there. Now let's get to scoot Henderson here. Obviously on our last episode with Marin fader, I brought him up and, and I, I came out and said that he is my choice for rookie of the year. Got to watch him in, in Vegas Summer League before he did, unfortunately, get injured. Um, and uh, was I, I I was left kind of stunned how good he is. I mean, this guy could be something like the second coming of Chris Paul in my mind. I think he's got the mid-range game. He's got the leadership. Uh, he, he, he operates out of pick and rolls extremely well. And he's already crafty, keeping guys on his back and – I think he's the full package. I think everyone's going to be surprised once he takes over the keys in, in Portland. Like you said, I think, uh, you know, this was a no doubt decision to trade Dame once he fell to three. It would have been interesting if Brandon Miller went to three, but you know, I think they really lucked out getting Scoot Henderson despite it being bittersweet times in Portland, but I do, I think they need to rebuild and I think it needs to be, the ball needs to be in Scoot's hands and he's already got two impressive wings next to him. 
They've got Shaden Sharp, who's showing out right now in Summer League. And then they also have Anthony Simons, who really turned it up and, and took a next step in his career development last year. So, Bruce, what was your big takeaway from seeing Scoot out there in Vegas? Well, you know, obviously, you know, he put up the numbers. I mean, in his, in his first game, the one he got hurt in, I guess it's his only game so far. I mean, he played 21 minutes, had 15 points, he had six assists, and he had five rebounds. Um, but the thing about him is, at 6'2", he is powerful. He's yeah. strong. He's not like Kyrie Irving-ish. He's a little bit more, although he has some of those skills, you know, the ability to finish, you know, amongst bigger players. But he is really like a powerful 6'2". Uh, so, yeah, the, the Chris Paul comparison I think that you just made is uh, apt. He's a great passer. He's a good finisher. He has no fear of the spotlight. And I believe this guy has leadership skills. So I think uh, I see like just a ton of things to love about him. Well, D. Well, I'll say this. While it was up in the air between uh, Scoot and Brandon Miller, who would be the second pick, and I normally defend Mitch Kupchak as a GM for the Hornets if for no other reason. He has done a decent job, a better than decent job, of drafting since he came to Charlotte. So he's he's been good in that regard. He's looking like he they may have whiffed on this one. And it's early. It's not fair to Brandon Miller or anybody else or, or to Mitch or the Hornets to really write it off as a mistake. But Scoo Henderson really looks impressive in that short time. And Brandon Miller looked unimpressive to me uh, with his shooting. Everything can change. It's a summer league. It's not, uh, it's not fair. You get a whole summer to work out. I get it. Maybe it'll all work out for the Hornets as a fan. I hope it will right now. It's it. Uh, you wonder if the Hornets are going, geez, Scoot and LaMelo in the backcourt, we could do things. Yeah. Well, let me flip things back on you here for a second, World B. You're going to call my bluff when I say that Scoot Henderson's going to be a better overall player than LaMelo Ball? Uh, I'm not going to go there yet. I am a big LaMelo fan. I have been since I saw him play his first game uh, with the Hornets. I we And all Hornets fans are like, why is he not starting? Why is he not starting? Because he was so much better than what they were putting out there. So I'm not ready to go there yet. He absolutely has a chance to because he's that, he's that skilled. Yeah. Uh, the one thing LaMelo has that Scoot doesn't get, LaMelo had a better jumper than people give him credit for, and he's worked on it. He's become a really good perimeter shooter. I don't see that yet from Scoot Henderson. It could happen. If he's going to be the superstar we think he wants, he can be. He's going to have to develop that perimeter shot. So he's got that chance, but I'm not ready to put that, uh, put him ahead of LaMelo at this point. Yep. And uh, some other summer league standouts uh, that are out there. Bruce, we'll start with you. What's one name that we haven't talked about thus far that's caught your eye? Well, can I get an amen out of the congregation <laughs> here? Uh, one of the Thompson twins, uh, the Houston Thompson twin, amen, amen. Not quite sure how to pronounce it. All I know is that that guy filled up a box score like Scottie Pippen in his first game. I mean, 16 points, four rebounds, five assists, three steals, four blocks in 28 minutes. That's like that's like a, a fantasy league, like, you know, potential, like Hall of Fame fantasy league player right there. And again, I, I'm not a big fantasy league guy because I think that 
fans tend to look at all that stuff and decide that that's what makes a player good. What do they fill up a box score with? But uh, the guy also plays a little bit of defense on top of it. So uh, it, it's too early to compare him to a Hall of Famer like Scotty. But, uh, you know, they're similar in size. Uh, and Scotty played for Houston for a minute, too. Uh, and we'll see. But, I mean, he jumped right out, right off the page at me. What about you, World B? Well, I'll go back to a guy I just mentioned here, Brandon Miller. Uh, he didn't uh, – he's had his ups and downs, we'll put it that way. Uh, I was really – his shooting really needs work. He And, again, this is uh, not to uh, write somebody off or put them in the Hall of Fame during summer league. We all know you're just looking to see the skill set. At least that's what I'm looking for. But Brandon Miller's jump shot just doesn't look as smooth as I was expecting it to look. Um, and the numbers show, I mean, geez, nine of 33 so far in Vegas from the field and three of 17 from three point range in the two games. Uh, he looked much better in uh, California in the two games out there. It's plenty of time to work it out. And who knows how it's going to be when he gets LaMelo passing the ball and vice versa and starts playing with some pros and stuff. Uh, so I'm not going to really write him off, but I, I was, I haven't exactly been blown away by what I've seen from Brandon Miller yet. Yeah, he's definitely letting it fly. So that's the least encouraging. Yeah. Well, that's that, fine. Uh, that's what you want. If you're going to let anybody <laughs> shoot the ball for the Hornets, it's going to sure. be Brandon Miller. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a positive that he's on to the next shot and, and and trying to work it out now in these summer league games where you're 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 there to develop. As for me real quickly here, the guy that I've really caught my attention wasn't a big fan going into the draft, to be honest with you, is Keontae George, drafted by the Utah Jazz. He's already had a 33-point performance in Summer League. Um, And this is a guy that could get some real serious run for the Utah Jazz next season, as they are a young developing team. They've got some spots and some holes with their guard play. So keep an eye out out on him. If he keeps up with these type of skill sets, we could certainly see him being a guy that could be all-rookie first team. Uh, with the right opportunity in Utah. But with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer. So we're going to take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back with the start of the second half. And let's go ahead and move on to some big off-season news. And uh, we're going to start off with just the late, latest saga with James Harden. Bruce? Well... It's a messy situation for a team that has a uh, player with a real sense of entitlement here. I mean, Harden accepted his player option of $35.6 million, Thank you very much. So he'll stay in Philly if Daryl Morey can't find a deal that makes sense. The Clippers have been mentioned, and Harden would join Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George as a big three. But injuries have, played, have plagued PG-13 and Leonard. And, of course, James hasn't played in as many as 70 games since the 2018-19 season, and he turned 34 in, turns 34 in August. So 
The good news is that all of the Philly teammates like James and they all say they want him back. So, you know, unless the market for him picks up, I think, you know, they're going to run it back with him in Philly. World B, what's your take on this uh, situation and how would you feel being a Sixers fan? Uh, I'd be wishing he would come back, to be honest with you. I mean, he's, if I'm a fan, I know he's been talking like he's not happy, but the fact is, and we mentioned during the season, that offense was so much better when he was on the court. He made the offense go. He's not the player he once was. We all know that. He's uh, His jumper is not there like it used to be. He's not doing a great as great a job of getting to the hole, separating and getting to the hole like he used to, which comes with age. That being said, there's no dispute the numbers. Philly was so much more efficient when he was on the court than when he was off. It's just that's the impact he has. That's the impact he had with the Nets when he was there. That's the impact he has with the Sixers, and that's why he's still a valuable asset. He makes things go, even if he's not the player. He's lost a step or two or whatever you want to say. He still makes others better with his passing ability, and I know that's – I'm sure that's what some a team like the Clippers is looking at. Like, what can he do for us even if he is – a little bit off getting him. Are we close to do a championship and for all the BS and all the headaches he causes? Yeah. I think their, their teams are better when he's on the court. Yeah. I totally agree with you there. I think obviously keeping him should be a priority. Uh, he did opt in. It's funny when these guys opt in and then the next day they want to trade. It's almost like buying something late at night on like Amazon and like, wait, did I did I really buy that? Oh shoot! I Can I return this? I don't know what's going on. But why would you? By the way, why would you? If you're James Harden, why would you want to leave the 76ers right now in that Eastern Conference with him on board with MD the MVP? I mean, they really have a still a legitimate chance. Yeah, to get to the finals, they had a legitimate chance this past season. The Miami Heat got in from the play-in, got there. Does that mean they're? How does that mean Philly is suddenly out of the picture? If I'm trying to win a championship, why am I wanting to go to the West, which has suddenly gotten loaded? And why can't I stay with the East, where it's just been topsy turvy and a play-in team got to the finals? I mean, if that's his goal, he's got his money. Now let's get to the championship. If that's your, if that's your real goal. Yeah. Plus, he's got a new coach. I mean, Nick Nurse takes over for Doc yeah. Rivers. James and Doc, you know, weren't exactly, you know, always on the same page. So, you know. Indeed, wants why, him back. You know, sometime, yeah. So, you know, sometimes the grass, you know, isn't always greener elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I feel like this is just – the only reason it's not a surprise is we've seen this, what, three or four times with him already? Right. I, that's the only yeah. reason it's not a surprise. But yeah, when you step back and actually look at the situation, it's like, where else are you going to go that has a team like this with a player like Embiid and you're going to be much better off? I think Philly's perfect for him and hopefully things work out for him in Philly. It makes a lot more sense for him to say than it would for like Damian Lillard with where that team is going. So they're not even comparable trade requests. And like you say, he's still, he's at the end of the day, he still has his money. Yeah. Yep. And uh, next one we're going to talk about here is Chris Paul. Uh, Obviously got shipped out of Phoenix. Had a brief 48-hour stint with the Washington Wizards and then was flipped right on over to his once-rival Golden State Warriors, where he's now all of a sudden teaming up with Steph Curry and the Splash Brothers. 
Um, World B, I'll start with you on this one, as I know you're we're tracking the Warriors all season long. Do you think he can help their defense? I'll start there. Well, sure he can. I mean, he'll <laughs> he'll be. It's all a matter of health with with that that lineup with that group. Um, they're a bunch of aging veterans. There's just no way around it. You know, Draymond, Steph, and CP3. I mean, and Clay Thompson. I mean, the health is the biggest issue with this team right now. When they're all on the court together, I mean, I'm looking forward to watching it. I mean, I can't, you know, see who wouldn't if throw the uh, fandom away and just be an NBA fan. How can you not want to see this group uh, on on the court together? I, you know, Chris Paul is going to be limited with his minutes, and he should at his age. And it's a matter of if he can stay on the court long enough and get ready for postseason. The the Warriors need help on defense. We talked about it all season. Uh, they were absolutely maybe they just sit them on the home games and let him play on the road game. Cause that's where yeah. the biggest deficiency was on defense. <laughs> so he'll still get 41 games out of them and you'll get him on the road. And Bruce, if you're Steve Kerr, are you uh, having to sit down Chris Paul and be like, Hey, I don't know if I need to tell you this or not, but you're not going to start. Or do you think we might see him start at times? You know, he did an interview on Sunday and, and Kendra Andrews asked him a question, you know, will he start? Will he come off the bench? Um, he didn't seem to be like, oh, yeah, I'm cool being a backup to Steph Curry. I didn't get that impression at all. He said to her, because she kind of asked him, well, you know, we're, how, how will you handle kind of be? And he's like, are you the coach? You know, we haven't <laughs> talked about that yet. So the big question, will he start? Will he come off the bench? I mean, look, Steph Curry's still playing great ball. And quite honestly, CP3 is not as good. Okay. He just isn't. Um, but. As a backup point guard, he'd be ideal. And you could probably put him out there with Steph at times. Uh, he'd be an ideal backup if he's willing to accept that role. I mean, he's 38 years old. And yes, yeah, Steph is 35. So it could be that sharing minutes might be good for both players, extend both of their careers, and be good for the team. Always have a fresh guy out there. And we all know CP3 is not going to turn the ball over. He's a coach on the court. So again, if his head's in the right place, and Steve Kerr is a master at getting guys to get their heads in the right place, uh, it could work out just great. And a $30 million salary for a reserve point guard is pretty, pretty good, as somebody once said. Yeah, I saw an interesting line from, I believe, Draymond Green. Of course, he has his own podcasts and even if he didn't, he likes to talk a lot online and to media <laughs> reporters and things of that nature. Uh, what I thought was interesting is he said, Chris Paul is the exact type of guy that's going to come in here to Golden State and really get Jonathan Kaminga going. And I could totally see that happening. I could see him being a great mentor for that guy, whether it be spoon feeding him in practice, helping him develop that confidence, or you know, giving him pointers in games, and he becomes a much more effective four or five man for this team. But you know, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Chris Paul's leadership trickles down to some of the other guys down the bench on that group, because I think he has a lot to offer in that regard. Of course, he doesn't have to say anything to Steph Clay or Draymond, the, the legends of Golden State, but all those other guys, if he can help find their way within the team and their value and how they can be successful within the Warriors system, I think that would be very important. By the way, I think along with the addition of CP3, I'm wondering how much the exit of Jordan Poole will help yes. the, the chemistry of that team because Jordan Poole during the postseason really wore out his welcome, it seemed like, 
not only with the players, but with uh, Steve Kerr. I think the frustration over his inability to be productive at all. I mean, he saw a lot of time on the bench in the postseason in certain games and the inconsistency of him go along with all the headaches before the season began. Uh, I don't think anybody's really going to be missing him come training camp. And I'm wondering how much of an impact, along with the addition of uh, Chris Paul, I'm wondering the exit of Jordan Poole will uh, have how it will they have a similar impact? Didn't it free up jersey number three for Chris Paul to wear? Yeah, it well, sure did. Paying dividends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next two guys I want to talk about got the absolute bag. Uh, you said Amen in Houston. Another guy said Hallelujah to Houston, and that was Fred Van Fleet. Three-year deal paid out to Ying Yang here. Um, already been seen in the offseason working out with Jalen Green, one of their young shooting guards and, and, and top picks in previous year's draft. Bruce, I'll start with you. When it comes to steady Freddie himself and Van Fleet, I mean, do you think this was a wise signing, bringing in a leader that's been at, at the top level, won a championship with Kawhi Leonard? Do you think he's the type of guy you'd want in, in Houston trying to help lead this very young group? Yeah, and I think that that was probably their motivation for signing him more so than his performance last year. I mean, he's a 6'1 guard. He only shot 39% from the floor and 34% from downtown, right? He has the rep as being a really good three-point shooter, but those numbers tell me he's was not really such a great shooter. But as you correctly point out, on a young team like the Rockets, his professionalism, his ability to mentor these guys – it clearly appealed to Ime Udoka and the Rockets management team. So, you know, much like, you know, guys like Al Horford who make a lot of money, his performance on the court is important, but some of his best work is going to be done in practice on the team plane, on the team bus, in the locker room. And and that's just what a team like that needs. So, yes, I think it is money well spent. Will be what's your take on Van Fleet in Houston? Well, first things first, I'm very happy for the guy because he's been a uh, really is overall a good player. Um, that being said, I don't understand it uh, from a production. So I understand off the court, the mentoring part. I get that. But I'm going to be paying over $40 million for a guy to mentor my young guys because <laughs> he better step up his game on the court. Because we're talking about the Rockets were one of the worst shooting teams in the league last season because they were so young. And now we went out and got a player from one of the worst shooting teams in the league last year in the Raptors. <laughs> they were, I think there was one team worse. And I can't remember. It doesn't come to mind, but they were near the bottom in shooting last year. And Fred Van Vliet was one of the reasons he did not have a good year. If he turns it around, then I think it could be absolutely a good move, but I don't, where, where is the impact out are you really thinking that he's going to impact Jalen Green in his third year? Is he going to make that big turn? If you do, that's great. I've seen enough of those guys play and put up the numbers. I don't see the shooting improving out of this Houston team right off the bat. The one thing I'll agree with here, and Bruce pointed it out, is, you know, of course, with a new coach like Ime Udoka, who's definitely going to be trying to change the culture, the healthy habits uh, within the team and the organization. You know, your point guard's your coach on the floor. I know it sounds cheesy, but it's so true. And I think getting a guy like Van Fleet, who's worked for everything he's gotten, he's always bet on himself, 
He was a guy that went undrafted. He's he, he's gritted and grinded, and he, he he's gotten to where he is today. Obviously, couldn't be more thrilled for the guy and I, for him personally getting this kind of uh, opportunity and, of course, payday. Uh, but I think that's where the value lies is the fact that if he's aligned with Ime Udoka and uh, can certainly get these guys kind of headed in the right track, holding his own teammates accountable. I mean, Udoka is going to do his job as best as he can holding guys accountable. But a lot of that has to come on the floor as well. And I think Van Fleet is the guy they're paying to be that that voice. So I'm hoping that really uh, fares well for Houston moving forward because they got a lot of talent. They just have to kind of put it all together and kind of be a little bit more disciplined. And uh, hopefully he can bring that uh, over from his experience with Toronto. And uh, next guy we're going to talk about getting a big payday, Kyrie Irving of the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, seemed like... Uh, they outbid themselves for his services. I'm not sure what you guys think, Bruce. I'll go ahead and start with you on uh, your your thoughts on uh, on that deal. Three years, 126 mil. <laughs> Look, after trading away so much to acquire him last season, it almost feels like Dallas had to keep him or face the wrath of their fans for trading away so much for a rental that didn't even work out. I never liked this fit with Luka Doncic. I don't see it working next season either, but I do like the fact that Dallas picked up Grant Williams. That's a loss for Boston, and I think that's a good guy for Dallas to to pick up on their team. So, uh, And Grant never had the uh, opportunity to play with Kyrie in Boston. He got there the year that Kyrie you know, left. So now he gets to experience the full Kyrie Irving experience in Dallas. <laughs> don't like it, but I understand why Mark Cuban felt he probably had to do it. We'll be your our numbers guy here. So I'm curious if you've crunched the numbers and, and found something that we haven't on uh, Kyrie Irving and his impact in Dallas. The only thing I can think of is the only uh, thing that Mark Cuban was bidding against in this deal was common sense. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's really, I was the only one of the three that was behind the trade when it happened simply because I thought at that time the Mavericks could make a factor in the West that really hadn't been decided yet as it started was starting to shrink the the gap between the nuggets and everybody else. And I thought, why not give the Mavericks, you know, why not let Dallas have a shot at boy, did it blow up. They went from trying to make a move to compete for a championship to going in the tank. Otherwise they were going to lose the number 10 pick in the draft, which they were able to secure. So this is where we are at. Bruce is exactly right. They bid against nobody. And not only they bid against nobody, they outbid nobody. I mean, it was a ridiculous deal. There's just no, there's no rhyme or reason behind it. Knowing what you know after watching what happened during the season, I totally agree with Bruce. I mean, this this doesn't fit. It absolutely doesn't fit. Two ball handlers on the court at the same time, and if it works out, great. I don't. I don't know of anybody outside of Dallas that sees any logic behind this. If it works I just out, want to see what happens if they get off to like a slow start. Is Kyrie going to start the diva act earlier than expected? Go ahead, Ross. Sorry. I was going to say if it works out great. And if it doesn't, I guess you just lose Luka Doncic. So, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, what, who cares? What could be know. wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, one, one other thing, though, before we get to our final thought, definitely want to mention it here. And, uh, Bruce, maybe you can educate us all a little better on this. This is some more league-wide news is, of course, that the NBA plans on 
rolling out an in-season tournament in Las Vegas starting this next season. Uh, Bruce, can you put on your professor cap and, and just let us a little bit, let us know a little bit more about this thing? I'll try to keep it simple <laughs> okay. because please. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Tuesdays and Fridays between November 3rd and 28th, with the exception of election night, which is November 7th, there will be group play. The group play will be followed by a knockout round, and the games will all count towards the regular season, except for the championship game in Las Vegas when all the players are out at the club the night before. Yes. Um, When the idea was first floated, I was not on board because I felt there was a chance it would wreak havoc with the rhythm of the regular season, throwing this thing in the middle of the regular season. But after hearing how the games are all going to count as regular season games, I'm still not sold, but I'm willing to give it a chance and see how it all works out. They say that this is a designed to give the fans something to be interested in at a time of the season where there's not a whole lot of interest. And I'm thinking, you guys are tripping. The first month of the season, even the first month and a half of the season, there's absolute interest because that's when you sort of find out who's good. Yep. So I thought, you know, I don't know if it's a money grab exactly. It may be more of an attention grab. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> World's got something to say about that. No, I think <laughs> you hit it, hit it right on the head, a money grab. That's <laughs> what it, that's what it appears to be uh, for Do you me. you Oh, okay. So I'll tell you this. I have my I have mixed reservations about this because in general it doesn't seem like anything more than a money grab. That being said, the NBA has tried to do things in recent years and it's worked out really well. The play in tournament at the end of the year, which I know was at a necessity initially with COVID, but became such a success. And I think it's a great thing for the league. And the All-Star game, the way they turned it, the ending into the Elam ending to make at least one quarter of the All-Star game uh, worth watching. So I give the NBA props. If you look at it based on their attempts to create some interest uh, from that angle, maybe this is a good idea. All that being said, it doesn't really do much for me. And I'm, I'm of the belief, I'm somebody who follows the league anyway. We all are. So I don't think this is uh, put together for my benefit because I'm watching no matter what. Yeah. I mean, I don't need any more incentive to watch these games. I'll be watching them just like both of you guys will be. So my interest level in this is probably like a four out of 10 right now. I'm sure as the time comes, I'll give it a chance and see how things go. But uh, certainly, you know, very curious to see how much interest the actual players have in this. I mean, we're talking – a half a million dollars at best. We've seen players sit out games and take suspensions for much more than that. And uh, they're going to be in Las Vegas, as Bruce uh, pointed out, and uh, can tell you there will be some uh, fun going on there while they are at this in-season tournament. Um, But uh, last thing I want to say on this is Chris Paul better hope that the Golden State Warriors don't win this in-season tournament because I think there's (laughs) going to be a lot of jokes to be had. Chris Paul finally won something. So uh, he's got to hope for his own best interest here. The, the Warriors do not win this in-season uh, tournament, but it uh, should be a lot of fun to see how everything shakes out, and I'm sure we'll have more to come on that as the time comes. So with that, let's go ahead and get to our final thoughts, and Bruce, we'll start with you. Thanks, Ross. Russell Westbrook has played 15 NBA seasons. 
Last season, he earned $47 million and has earned close to $340 million over the course of his career. But he recently signed a two-year deal to remain with the Clippers for $8 million for two seasons. The second year is a player option, so he could earn more if he chooses to stay with the Clips. But this coming season, he's only going to earn $4 million, or about 8.5% of what he earned last season. 91.5% pay cut for future Hall of Famer. Clearly, he's not staying in the game for the money. He just wants to play and is one of the most ferocious competitors of this or any other era. I'm glad as a fan that he's still playing. His teammate Paul George said that Russ changed the vibe in the Clippers locker room when he joined the team last season. He's clearly not the same player he was in 2017 when he led the league in scoring, averaged a triple-double, and was named the most valuable player. But he still has some gas left in the tank. He played 73 games last season and averaged almost 16 points per game. I hope the Clippers can stay healthy this season and George and Kawhi Leonard are able to compete at the highest level. And if they do, they'll have a partner in Westbrook who is out there to win and not to just cash a check. Well, don't hold your breath on that last part of that. The Clippers staying healthy. But uh, certainly think that was a great value sign. Obviously, Russell Westbrook for that kind of money is a no-brainer with how well he played last year once he transitioned over. So I couldn't agree more there, Bruce. World B? Thank you, Ross. So national TV ratings for the regular season were about the same as a season ago, while playoff TV ratings were the highest in five years. Along with that, television ratings for the NBA draft, which had very little drama attached to it, was reportedly up 23% from last summer. I mentioned all this because we're entering a very uncertain time in the NBA. Interest remains high, thankfully, and having five different NBA champions in the last five years certainly helps the all-around interest. But the LeBron James era is coming to the 17th or possibly even 18th hole of his career, and someone will need to carry the torch for this league. Will it be the Victor era, or will another player come along and put the league on its shoulders? All the while, the NBA's TV deal runs out after the 2024-25 season, and you can bet your bottom dollar they will be looking for a rights fee increase of monumental proportions. Perhaps ESPN's decision to part ways with longtime analyst Jeff Van Gundy was an early signal that their future with the league could be coming to an end. But by then, who will the league be promoting as its next MJ or LeBron or Magic or Bird? Stay tuned. Yeah, lots to come on the horizon, and uh, our thoughts go out to those at ESPN that were part of that layoff, and I know as NBA fans, uh, that was very disappointing news to see, especially uh, some of that top talent that we enjoyed listening to and enjoying on those game casts. So uh, hopefully they land on their feet, and uh, all those uh, that were affected by that um, stay stronger in this tough time. As for my final thought, I want to Bring some light to something that happened on Friday as a friend of the show and soon to be Hall of Famer Mark Spears and I happened to be on the same wavelength watching Friday night's highly anticipated Victor Wembanyama debut. While most fans and ESPN cameras were dialed into Wemby's every move, there was a certain Hornets player that caught both of our attention and we both tweeted about it. And it wasn't the second overall pick, Brandon Miller, or their 27th overall pick, Nick Smith who were teammates at Arkansas, by the way. It was the 41st pick, Amari Bailey, out of UCLA. 
this youngster can absolutely go. And he gave me all kinds of Norman Powell 2.0 vibes. Keep an eye out for him the rest of Summer League and moving forward. He certainly looks the part as a second-round diamond in the rough, and uh, I felt really reassured that Mark Spears agreed with me. So uh, just a name to keep a look, keep an eye out on there for the rest of Summer League for all you folks that do enjoy that. But for now, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.